baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It's the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. Good afternoon to you. We'll take more calls on Alec Baldwin a little bit later. Right now we've got a guest joining us. I'm excited about Brian Kaplan being here. He's a professor of economics at George Mason University. And he wrote a book called The Myth of the Rational Voters, a Voter, Why Democracies Choose Bad Policies, which, uh, which certainly is an epidemic. But, but I, I want to talk to Brian about open borders and, and what the rationale is. Small government people tend to favor open borders as a, a part of the notion of having a liberty-based society, just let people do what they want. And um, that's a really interesting premise because I think most people don't like open borders. So, Brian, welcome to WTIC. Fantastic to be here. How are you doing? So you're, uh, are, is it true that you're an anarcho-capitalist, a no-government person? Uh, yes. Uh, I'm going to sound crazy if we talk about that, but sure. Oh, no, because that's where I am now. <laughs> that's the only thing that makes any sense now, as far as I can figure, because we're looking at, we're looking at uh, $150 billion of debt in the state of Connecticut that serves no purpose for the people other than uh, the election rigging schemes of the ruling party. And we've got a, a federal government that's plundered us for $32 trillion that they admit to. So I don't see any reason to feel good about government. Uh, well, I'll say that I'll say the same thing, but uh, let's do open borders. Yeah, let's talk about open borders. So, so tell me how the logic of that plays out from a small government perspective comes down to this. Uh, what is it that immigrants want to come to our country to do? Overwhelming majority want to get a job and live here. And then you say, well, we don't want them. I'm like, well, what is so bad about a person coming and getting a job and living here? Um, and particularly when you realize, well, why do they want to come? They want to come because they make a lot more money. Why do they make a lot more money here? Because people here are a lot more productive. It really is strange when you think about it to say, I want to trap people in places where their potential is so limited. I mean, I often ask people, just imagine you were born in Haiti. What would you do? Right? It's just a messed up society. So it's very hard to achieve much of anything with your life, no matter how hard you try. But what if your country is surrounded by messed up societies and you happen to have a rich burgeoning one and you've got plenty of people and you don't want millions of new ones pouring in? I mean, there is a pace at which they, there can be too many people coming too fast and that can be problematic, right? Fortunately, there's very simple market forces here. So if a lot of people show up at once, that makes housing prices high, and then it makes it not so good to be there. If a lot of people show up and start looking for jobs all at the same time, it's going to be hard for them to find good jobs. I mean, honestly, this is how we handle migration inside of the U.S. Think about San Francisco. People there make a lot more money than people in the rest of the country, but you don't see many people from Mississippi saying, oh, I've got a great plan. I'm going to move to San Francisco. It's like, yeah, there's higher pay there, but I also have to pay a lot more for housing. So... Uh, now, again, that actually has a lot to do with terrible housing regulation in San Francisco, but the basic point of there are natural market forces that 
slow down migration to the level where it makes sense, uh, that's true. So I think what you're saying is, or, or that this fits into a pattern of, that we assume we need government doing the things that we are accustomed to government doing, and we mm-hmm. can't imagine that everything would work out fine without government screwing up everything they do. Yeah, I mean, I think another big part of it is that most people have this misanthropic idea that another person is a bad thing, and that's just wrong. Most people add a lot more to society than they take. Sure, there's Charles Manson's and Hitler's and messing things up for everybody else, but most people contribute something. They take care of themselves, and they provide some value to other people. So, you know, like when when I see a janitor, I don't see a parasite in society. I see someone who's contributing. They may not be Albert Einstein, but doesn't mean they're not a useful, valuable person and definitely doesn't mean that their freedom doesn't count. Yeah, I don't think people who are concerned about immigration and illegal immigration are necessarily worried about those people. I think there's a tendency to think that this is a regulated thing. We have laws and since we have laws, that there, it's problematic for some people in the government to say, oh, let's flaunt our laws. Let's just not enforce them. And there's never really a debate about whether we should be controlling or not because we're stuck inside of arguing about the system that exists. Well, it's just some of that. But, I mean, here's the thing. I've, I, mean, I argue about immigration with a lot of people, such as my dad. And here's what I've noticed. If they say, well, I'm not against immigration, just illegal immigration, you say, great, let's make it legal. That has persuaded, <laughs> that has persuaded zero people in my experience. The reason why people oppose illegal immigration is because they oppose immigration, of course. You wouldn't want it to be illegal unless you thought it was bad. Oh, no, I and, disagree. Yeah, so, yeah. so there are, for example, I know teachers who work in urban schools dealing with, uh, say, ESL students, you know, English as a second language, and they're overwhelmed with the number of kids who are piling into their public schools. And, and it, allow, it, it requires of them that they ignore certain kids who are uh, somewhat capable so that they can focus on the desperate ones, and they just feel it's out of control. So there are systems that can't handle uh, because they're government-run systems, I suppose, that can't handle the influx. I mean, again, if you were to go to those teachers and say, would it make you feel better if the kids were here legally instead of illegally? I think I'd be overwhelmed either way. I don't see what the difference that makes there. Well, if there, but if it was a legal system that was uh, controlled, we would say, no, you can't come, and then they wouldn't be here. Yeah, but again, that goes to the point of when someone says they're against illegal immigration, it's not just that it's illegal. They want it to be illegal because they think that the people are a problem. Now, of course, that's a case where taxpayers are paying for your education, so you can kind of see why people are feeling ripped off. Again, that's part of what's messed up with a system where people pay for stranger stuff is that you look at another person and you say, hey, well, you may be okay, but I don't want you going and expecting me to go and pay for your path in life, which I can understand. And again, of course, that's sort of the whole heart of the welfare state is expecting people to pay for total strangers. Yes, uh, that is part of the problem, I think. It triggers all those feelings. We're talking to Brian Kaplan. He's a professor at George Mason University, and we're discussing the idea of immigration, and maybe we should just let people come based on market forces because we we believe so deeply in markets as part of the American system. And it's a really interesting concept because our train our, our thinking about immigration has been trained around the idea that, that the government has to control it. But what if it didn't? Do you see any potential problems given 
that we have proximity to so many countries that are in such desperate need that we might have exacerbate uh, homelessness and housing issues and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I see lots of problems, honestly, just like I see problems with people doing what they want with their own stuff. Like if you just go and look, look around, you'd have to be blind not to notice a lot of people don't use their freedom very well. Uh, what I would say here is that the problems, when you really calm down and actually measure them, are a rounding error compared to the gains. You know, again, to me, it's a lot like a baby's born, and you could just say, well, was there anything wrong with this baby? Does the baby cause any problems? Like, yeah, the baby causes 10,000 problems, but the baby exists, and he's alive, and he enjoys life, and he'll grow up, and he'll do stuff with his life, and it's all a good <laughs> deal in the, in the package. And that's really the way that I see immigration. If someone were saying, like, don't you see any problem? Yeah, I'm not blind, of course. Every person causes problems. Mm -hmm. They also go and do good things. And when we step back and we don't allow our judgment to be clouded by the fact that there's someone we just don't like, and like then you tend to exaggerate their problems. But if you calm down and step back, say, well, on you know, the one hand, the person plays his TV too loud. On the other hand, he goes and he does a good job at work and he contributes. And you know, he's a fun guy to be around sometimes. So put that together, and it is a good thing the person is there. It's really the way that I see immigration in general. I mean, it's one where just when you realize what enormous gain that the immigrant gets, and it's not just a gain for themselves. They also are just so much more productive when they move to a rich country than they are if they stay home. You know, someone in Haiti, they basically contribute nothing to the global economy, but they moved to Miami, and now they are part of a global society where they shine shoes. They work in a Haitian restaurant or whatever, and now they aren't just much better off themselves. They're also providing useful services to people that otherwise they would have had no contact with. Brian, you wrote a book called The Myth of the Rational Voter, Why Democracies Choose Bad Policies. What is that myth? It comes down to this. Someone says, hey, 80% of Americans think X, therefore X is true. And I say, I'm, that doesn't follow. Maybe 80% of people are wrong. You can see this when politicians are trying to curry favor with the public, and they just say, oh, 80% of Americans agree with me, so you're out of touch if you don't see it the same way. It's like, well, maybe 80% of Americans are right, maybe 80% are wrong. It's not that hard to imagine why there could be a mass hysteria where people are really wrong about something. So, again, it's a case where I'm always trying to get people just to calm down and say, all right, let's at least look at the evidence. Let's weigh both sides of it, see what both sides have to say before making up our minds. And, again, what you really see in politics, again, mentioning my dad, even very smart people are just so emotional about it. It's like a religion for them. It's hard to talk. And this is the way that people generally approach politics as a substitute religion. Yes, I call it um, Yankee suck syndrome. Be, because <laughs> yeah, I, I know I know where you're coming from. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why do the Yankees suck? Well, we were born in Boston. Well, why do the Red Sox suck? We were born in New York. You know, a simple move would have made somebody else suck. It's, it's an amazing dynamic. But we do take that approach to politics where uh, it becomes very emotional, as you describe. And you, you haven't been able to shake your father out of this at all, huh? No, not really. I mean, maybe he's gotten worse over time, but uh, I, he's probably not listening. You know, like he, you know, again, like like people in general, he's got lots of great things you can say about him, but he also gets super angry about politics, even though he's never read a book on it. But it is uh, it is wonderful when you ponder 
new ideas and find out that actually your beliefs were emotional. And it's so much more fun to be logical and not tied into that uh, dynamic of having to react a certain way because your button got pushed. I mean, obviously, most people seem to have more fun when they're not logical and they just sort of get into the moment. I mean, the, the most I could say is if you really make a habit of trying to calm down and think clearly, you're going to avoid a lot of the negative emotions that people feel because you just keep seeing things that really bother you. And if you, st- and if you calm down and say, well, look, the stuff on the news, how often does it happen anyway? You know, like if you just see a plane crash every day in the news, does this show that planes crash all the time or that it's a serious thing to worry about or you should stop flying? No. Well, then why are you even watching this garbage? Well, that's a good question. All right, what else do you want us to know about open borders or anything else? Let's see. Open borders. Um, I have actually written a nonfiction graphic novel about it. It is definitely my most entertaining book. I've got a fantastic artist, Zach Wienersmith, who drew it. I found that by combining words and pictures, I was able to just convey a lot more information in a much more shorter time with a lot more entertainment value. So, yeah, it's the, it's the book of mine that people have actually read the most. Adults read it. Kids read it. Uh, it's one where I really make an effort to actually listen to people that disagree. This is not a book where I'm trying to shame anyone or tell mm-hmm. anyone they're a bad person. It's a book where I'm just saying, all right, look, all right, let's go and hear all your complaints. All right, now let's go and look at the evidence about each of these complaints and the extent to which they hold up. And especially, let's keep doing math as we go. I mean, you know, let's not go and say, well, I can think of 10 problems and that outweighs one gain. And say, yeah, well, what if the one gain's a trillion dollars and the 10 problems are only a million dollars each <laughs> problems? And in which case, it's still a great idea. Uh, so that's a lot of what I do in the book. I mean, in terms of really understanding the logic of immigration, it comes down to this. You know, if you've got a Haitian who's making $1,000 a year and he moves to Miami and makes $21,000 a year, really the world is at least $20,000 richer, mm-hmm. right? It's not that Haiti's poorer and we're richer. It's that someone who was barely able to get anything done with their lives in Haiti suddenly is in a place where they can do a lot more, right? So if we can just move as many people as we really can to places that work, uh, then that, at least on the surface, sounds like a really good thing to do. Uh, obviously, if you were thinking about this more, you'll say, well, maybe if we move too many too quickly, that will really mess things up. And the main thing I'll just say is that we have a lot of historical experience with this, and we just see that's super rare. Normally what happens is people come, even if they're from a very backwards country, they become a contributing member of society, and then their kids totally assimilate. And we have a much larger population of people doing better. So, yeah, it really is a, a, a very strong case of win-win. And I understand that if you're watching the news, you're seeing cases, you know, immigrant who murders someone, immigrant terrorists. These are not the normal cases. They're not remotely the normal cases. It's the kind of manipulation that standard to media where they try to find the worst thing on earth and make everyone care about it instead of doing what a reasonable person does, <laughs> which is to say, let's look at the numbers and see what's actually normal. Brian Kaplan, George Mason University, thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Thank do you, you, do you have a, a, a website or someplace yeah, well, other than so I, you know, So I have a substack that is called Bet On It. I've got my own website, bkaplan.com. That's B-C-A-P-L-A-N. And then you can buy all my books on Amazon. So go there and order now. A bunch of them are really cheap. <laughs> You're very well covered. Thank you, sir. It's good to talk with you. Appreciate it. All right. It. All right. Have, have a great day. Thanks a lot. All righty. Bye-bye. That's Brian Kaplan, George Mason University. Check him out. Kaplan with a C. That's the only confusing part.
All right, we're going to break for news, and then we'll talk more about Alec Baldwin, 860-522-9842. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast baseball is in full swing nba playoffs are heating up and your nfl team is gearing up for training camp listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the odyssey app the biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Thursday already. Another weekend heading our way. And a snow, little snow, maybe, some places. Litchfield County, I guess. Doug in Ellington. What's on your mind, Doug? Hello there. Uh, I listened to that guy, Brian, long enough, let me tell you. He leaves out a lot of words like uh, system. It's an immigration system. It's not an illegal immigration or illegal, it's just an immigration system. Assimilate, learn the language, uh, be self-sufficient, concert, come to the country. What's wrong with that? Well, that's basically what he, what he's saying is there's no, we think we need to have this system, but if we just allowed the market-based system to control immigration, then we wouldn't have to worry about all this stuff. That's his, his position. Okay, then I can agree with that. But you can't just open the borders. You have to allow the right people. Every Well, you can allow anybody in. There's nobody harder working than uh, uh, exactly. Puerto Ricans and yeah. Mexicans. Let me tell you, they work circles around a lot of our younger people today. I am of but the opinion that, that we're going to be made uh, much better off by immigrants, that they're the ones who are going to save us because they won't allow the American system of government eventually, I think they will be the ones who protect it because they came here to work hard and make money, and they'll be so appreciative that they won't want the plunderers to be in charge of things. That's my take. Thank you for the call, sir. Mike in Plainville, what are you thinking? 
15 months it took the authorities to come down with this decision. I mean, what have they been doing for 15 months? Number uh, they, one and number two. They've been fighting with a lot of lawyers and trying to get to the facts. I you would know, give a week's pay. I would give a week's pay to see the logs from the following 48 hours after that occurred. Yes, that would be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? And then perhaps we will. Now, I don't want to be judgmental, but he's not one of my favorites. He never has been. So I'm with you on that. Okay. I like him as an actor. I just uh, think he's a belligerent, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, obnoxious he's, uh, personality. Narcissistic. There you go. Good word. Extreme. Extreme narcissism. He's yeah, egotistical and pig-headed. And, um... He's just the uh, – and even the pictures they showed uh, after the incident, it just – I don't know. It seems like he's just got a, 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 a bad aura around himself. Yeah. Well, let's not forget that he was acting in a movie, so maybe, you know, he was he was supposed to look like the bad guy or something, with the unshaven look and the the kind of gruff. But but I'm not sympathetic towards him. I'm just trying to balance out the conversation a little bit thank you mike Eight six zero five two two wtic now back to the todd feinberg show live from the nj diet studios on wtic news talk 1080 good afternoon to you we got a guest coming up you're going to enjoy from Yankee Institute. But first, let's talk with Doug from West Hartford. Hey, Doug. Hey, Todd. How are you? What's going on? You you want um, to you want to react to uh, Brian Kaplan? Yeah, in your own words, this is the stupidest smart guy I've ever heard. the 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 only problem we have with immigration is the law needs to be changed. We have a law in place. But it takes too long for people to give, go through it. It takes over a year. But does they that have to, to do with the law, or does that have to do with that they just don't adequately fund it, or it isn't managed properly, or whatever? It could be any one of those things, but they need to change it so people can come in legally within you know six months of, uh, mm-hmm. of applying. And, and that shouldn't be hard to do. It's, it's just a matter of a smart guy like Mark sitting down and looking at the law and the process and all that and changing it. But but don't let everybody that wants to come in just because they're a good guy. Well, he's not he's not saying uh, he's not saying that. He's saying don't worry about whether they're a good guy. Just make it like any other market that if we allow if we didn't have the immigration system we had, he's saying, and just allowed people to flow into the country as they desire when all the jobs were filled, less people would want to come. And when circumstances weren't favorable, they wouldn't come. That it would equalize on its own. That's his position. Yeah, but it shouldn't. Uh, it should be a law. It's a legal system. Well, so that's it, how it has been. He's he's asking of us that we think about it differently and figure out whether it really needs to be that way or we're just used to it because it that's how it's always been. Doug, thank you for the call. I appreciate hearing your opinion. We're joined now by Carol Platt-Lebow, who is the, I think her title is Executive Director of the Yankee Institute. Hey there, Carol. Did I get that hey. right? Well, I, President, but it's all the same to me. El and- Presidente. Nice to have you here. 
Well, thank you so much. As long as you don't call me Il Duce, it's all the same. <laughs> so um, uh, you, yeah. what, what's going on with you guys? We haven't talked in a long time. Well, we haven't. Always great to be with you. Um, just, you know, doing what we do, being a watchdog for uh, Connecticut and being the eyes, ears, and voice of, of our taxpayers. And I thought your listeners, um, you know, have a stake in knowing some of the things that are going on in the Capitol. And there are a couple of things that, you know, are of interest. Um, some of the lawmakers up there are on the left are uh, introducing a slew of bills that are aimed at increasing taxes on businesses, hiring additional tax enforcement agent, agents, you know, the uh, state equivalent of... Wait, they want to imitate what, what's happening with the IRS? <laughs> right, the 87,000 new IRS agents at the federal level. It's sort of the mini-me version here in the state. And um, and the thing that's amazing about this, Todd, is, I mean, you just lived through the last election season. You heard everyone talk about what great shape we're in, how the state is projecting a $3.1 billion budget surplus, and how we have this budget reserve fund. And so my question is, why why the urgent need for additional tax enforcement agents? Why the need for new taxes? They always want to raise taxes. They love making government more oppressive. I think the reason they like this is because it requires that the forces that they've unleashed on the average taxpayer are so are, are so insidious that we think only government can help us. And it makes government well, more more of an imperative. Well, when, when you're the problem, it's hard to be the solution. And and here's the thing. Um, they are also there are also bills in to increase the corporation business tax mm -hmm. from seven and a half percent to eleven and a half percent. Well, I guess I guess some people in the legislature might say, oh, well, people propose lots of things. Judge us by what we pass. What would you say to that? What I would say is, um, you know, what people propose is what they want. And it's important for people to understand this is what they want and what they will have if they can get just enough people over the line. And what we see is these things come up again and again and again until they just squeak over the line. And it's important for people to understand, you know, we hear a lot on the state level about things that will never pass in a mm -hmm. million years. Uh, all kinds of social issues that are big in Washington, D.C., that, you know, would never happen here in a thousand years. And yet there's just the most unusual silence about raising the corporation business tax from 7.5% to 11.5% until it happens. And the fact is that we already are ranked 47th uh, in the, in the country by the Tax Foundation for having the worst business tax climate in the country. The they want number one worst. <laughs> they want to get us down to 50? Yeah. Congratulations. If this happens, we'll be headed there like a lead balloon. Um, you know, then the other thing, uh, increased the capital gain surcharge on the sale or exchange of, of capital assets and on dividend and interest income. Um, you know, instead of just the 1% or 2% increase like they've proposed in previous sessions, um, they're after an additional 5% this Wait, month. Wait, what is that tax? 
Um, they've introduced a proposal that calls for an increase to the capital gains surcharge on the sale or exchange of capital assets and on dividend and interest income. And in previous sessions, they've, they've called for, you know, a 1% or 2% capital gains surcharge for this. So this um, would be to tax the evil rich? Of course, because you know they're evil. Yes. It's, and, um, but, but this it, time, you know, it, don't just settle for 1% or 2%, Todd. Go for broke with 5 Well, they they probably feel like they've wanted it every year and it hasn't happened, so they're trying to play catch-up. But, but the um, all of this belies the fact that, Revenues have been booming. Six billion dollars came in from Washington, and they were and just again, talking. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no, that's right. Three point one billion dollars surplus, right? Surplus it's, and it's, rainy day fund, and right? uh, is there trouble on the horizon in terms of the the proceeds, the tax proceeds coming into the government? Is that maybe what they're anticipating? You know, here's the thing, Todd. It isn't. That, that isn't the point here. The point here is equity. And again, they've also put in multiple bills establishing a new statewide property tax. In fact, there are several bills. One would charge two mills on commercial and resident, residential real property with assessed values of more than $1.5 million. And that would hurt people of modest means because you have apartment buildings and multifamily homes in cities like Hartford that are classified as commercial property, and they'd be subject to the legislation. That means people's rents go up. And then the second would establish a statewide property tax, and then another proposal would just simply increase the assessment rate for property taxes from 70 to 75%. So, you know, again, what you see is a theme. And the theme is more of your money yes. should be coming to Hartford. We're talking to Carol Platt-Lebow, president of the Yankee Institute. Yankee, is it yankeeinstitute.org? Uh, it is, yankeeinstitute.org, and we're on um, Facebook and Twitter as well. Where do these ideas generate from? Do you track this? We, we've been talking a little bit about the influence of um of these characters getting together, you know, for their World Economic Forum, and whether the ideas for punishing taxation and growing government indefinitely per, uh, percolate down from the top, because there there does seem to be an imitation thing where a bunch of states are all pursuing the same thing at the same time, and we don't know what the source of that is. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I would never speculate. But, you know, it is interesting that so much of our environmental policy does emanate from California. And it's important, I think, for every state to think for itself and to be focused first and foremost on the well-being of its own people. And, um, and you know, we, our state repeatedly, it's important to look at results. And we've seen that, Todd, as you talk so frequently about, you know, taxing the quote-unquote rich has already been tried and failed, you know, failed for more than a decade. It's triggered an exodus from Connecticut of large employers and wealthy people to states that are less punitive, and that hurts everyone. And what's 
interesting is it's just a real live example of really what how Winston Churchill describes socialism, right? The equal sharing of miseries. And rather than trying to bring everyone up, they try and create equality by just making everyone else equally miserable, cutting the successful yes. down. Yes. It's, uh, it's relentless. And what you said a minute ago about each state doing what's best for itself, this is really important because the idea of having all these different states is for them to pursue their own best interests so that everybody can be viewing the marketplace and figuring out which things are best. If we are, if we are having these things forced down from above, and we don't know what the impetus is, but there's this behind-the-scenes planning going on to orchestrate the passage of laws that don't really get discussed in states like Connecticut where there's one-party rule. That's a very dangerous thing, it seems to me. Well, it is, and it's, it's unfortunate because uh, what works or what you know may be sustainable in a state like California, although a lot of these policies are increasingly being revealed as unsustainable, are clearly not sustainable in a state like California that has a different geography, a different climate, different people with different needs. Well, and, nothing's uh, sustainable in California. <laughs> uh, as we're increasingly <laughs> seeing, aren't we? Yes. And, um, and, and so the point is that, that the obligation is to look to the benefit of your own state's citizens. And, uh, and, and when you have people leaving the state because they can't afford to live here, that's a tragedy. It's a beautiful state. It's a wonderful state. It is. And, um, and you know, there should not be such an emphasis on oppressive taxation that that you drive people from the state and make the state poorer because you know according to irs data connecticut saw a net loss of more than 12 billion dollars in adjusted gross income between 2012 and 2018 just because of people leaving the state and 64 percent of that loss came from from people earning over two hundred thousand dollars a year Yeah, that's a bad thing it's it's a bad thing and and Really, uh, everyone ends up suffering from that who's left behind and disproportionately those of more modest means. And so all these people who think that they're striking a blow for social justice by imposing these oppressive taxes end up hurting those that they purport to be trying to help the most. All right, Carol, thank you for dropping in. Anything else you want us to know? Uh, well, you can always find out more at yankeeinstitute.org. And at this point, Todd, it would seem to me that there are bills to, um, to prevent the trading of dead kangaroo parts would be among the most sensible policies up there at this, at, at this time. Well, so, we, do, we do know about the, uh, the uh, kangaroo part importation yeah. crisis. Everybody's and, and, you up know, to speed. Let's just all stick with exonerating the witches, shall we? <laughs> Carol, thank you so much. Great to talk with you. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Todd. All righty. That's Carol Liebau from Yankee Institute. Yankeeinstitute.org. Oh, it is relentless. You know, I get mad. My blood starts to boil in those conversations because of the relentless taxation, which is, in my mind, the expression of contempt for you. 
going to work every day for average folk trying to survive. And what what seems to work for Democrats is to put as much burden on the average folk as possible. And then that means they get to take a lot of money and then they get to give it to certain groups of people in the form of benefits. And we've all seen this happen a lot where they suddenly decide they're going to give somebody a tax break. Well, they're financing that tax break on the taxation of everybody who's not getting the tax break. You know, on excess taxes, in other words, that don't need to be taken in the first place. But they like this game of making themselves seem like they're good. They take a lot of money, give a little back, and everybody thinks, oh, they're so nice. And it allows them to manipulate their way into victories and also into controlling disproportionate amounts of the state's economy, which hurts the state. Okay, we're going to talk more coming up. After news, uh, we'll take some phone calls on, on Alec Baldwin and him being prosecuted. We'll play the rants. All that coming your way. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 